So you already know we're doing a series beginning today on the book of Ruth, Old Testament book of Ruth, and the hashtag for this sermon, if you're going to put something on social media about the message or about the book of Ruth or uh, whatever you got out of the service today, use uh, the hashtag radical love, hashtag radical love, and uh, we would appreciate that so much then everybody would get to uh, see what you uh, posted, Okay. So the book of Ruth is in the Old Testament. Before I get into this, um, thanks guys for letting me and Miss Millie take a break. We had a great staycation. Anybody ever done a staycation? They're not what they're cracked up to be. Here's, let me tell you what a staycation is. Honey, now you're going to do everything I've been trying to get you to do for the last year. We're going to do it all in the whole time you're off. So. But it was great. It was great being with Miss Millie. I mean, that's just great right there. Amen. Yes. So tell her I said that. Um, anyway, uh, the book of Ruth, uh, Old Testament, right after the book of Judges. And uh, so we're going to dig into this. I want to really encourage you guys during this series to study this book. It's four chapters. It's just four chapters. The whole Bible, the whole book in the Bible is just four chapters. And it's, uh, it's, um, it's a story. It's, uh, it's like a novel, reads like a novel, a very romantic love story. And uh, you, you might say, well, you know, Pastor, I, I kind of like the New Testament, and I like to really read what Jesus said. I like to read more about Jesus. Listen, I'm telling you, Old Testament or New Testament, there's not a book in the Bible that's more about Jesus than the book of Ruth. I promise you. As a matter of fact, the whole Bible is about Jesus. The first time Jesus is mentioned is in Genesis chapter 3, the first time he's mentioned directly. But Jesus was actually there at the, at the um, creation. In the book of Hebrews, it says Jesus was at creation. So Jesus is, Jesus always has been, and Jesus always will be. Why is that? Because he is God. Jesus is God. That's where the argument is today. That's where the debate is. Now, it's not a debate in this church. We put that to bed a long time ago, didn't we? We know who Jesus is. Jesus was, uh, is, and always will be God. And he came in the flesh, died on the cross in our place for our sins, rose from the dead to give us victory over death and sin. And uh, so the book of Ruth is all about Jesus, and you'll see it. You'll see that in this uh, new sermon series that we're starting today. Uh, we all love love, so you're going to love this book. Y'all know that old song, don't you? How many people we got here remember some old songs like, A Baby Loves Love. Mm. That didn't go over as well as I thought it would. But we all love love, and we all love love stories. And probably the most uh, well-known verse in the book of Ruth, no doubt it is, is the verse that they showed you on the video, if you followed that video before the sermon today. And uh, we're going to look at that most famous verse in the book of Ruth, but it's probably one of the most famous verses in the whole Bible. So let's read that, um, Ruth chapter 1 and verse 16. Uh, but Ruth was talking to Naomi. Now, Ruth was not talking to Boaz. Uh, because we hear this a lot in weddings, don't we? So we assume this was a woman to a man or a man to a woman, but it was actually Ruth talking to her mother-in-law, Naomi, who was really more like a mother to Ruth than a mother-in-law. 
And she says to Naomi, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or turn, my, or turn back from following you. And I know you don't understand that right now unless you know the book of Ruth and, and the context of what's being said there, but we will cover that. She says, because Naomi, I want you to know where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people, the Jewish people, will be my people. And your God will be my God. What a great verse that is. And it does fit weddings perfectly uh, for what a bride would say to a groom or a groom would say uh, to a bride. I think about, you know, the book of Ruth. I think about it's a romantic love story. It's uh, uh, the ladies are really going to love this, but Boaz, was a, he was a man's man, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But it reminded me of a story I heard about these girls who were in a Christian college. Uh, who went to a Christian school? Anybody go to a Christian school? Who went to a Christian college? Anybody go to a Christian college? Well, you know, in Christian colleges, especially the really strict ones, you know, there's no physical contact at all between uh, boys and girls. And I went to a Christian college, and to that rule, I would like to say this. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> that's where me and Miss Millie got together. And I'm here to confess before God and everybody. Of course, he already knows we got our smooch on at the Christian college. I want you all to know that. And so we were trying to decide where could we go and be away from everybody, and nobody would ever find us. And we thought about nobody would look for us in the president's office. <laughs> One of our favorite spots. Anyway, um, just thought I'd share. I know y'all appreciate me sharing that with y'all. Y'all looking to hear this old creepy guy and going, way too much information. I've got visions I'll never be able to get out of my mind now. Um, but these girls went to this Christian college, and, you know, they were praying, and they were having their devotions. And I remember Bible college, you know, there was the uh, spiritual competition. Who's the most spiritual? Who knows the most about the Bible? We were so mature. And, uh, but these girls are having their devotional time, and they're in their dorm, and they're praying, and they're just being so spiritual. And one of them says, I'll pray. She says, Lord, give us pure hearts. Lord, give us clean hearts. And Lord, give us sweethearts. In Jesus' name, and then all the girls said, Amen. Okay. <laughs> Some of y'all get that out in the parking lot, whatever. But everybody loves a love story. Everybody does. Uh, the book of Ruth is a unique love story. There are two books in the Bible with women's names, Ruth and Esther, very good students, and so we're going to talk about Ruth. In this sermon series, it's really, really important, guys. Uh, if, you're going to, if you want to squeeze all the juice out of this sermon series, one of the things you need to really get hold of is the typology, because Ruth in this sermon series is a picture of us. She's a picture of the church. She is a picture of, of a person who was lost without God and found a Redeemer, and that Redeemer saved her. So she's a picture of us, the church. And then she meets this good-looking guy, Boaz, and Boaz is a picture of Jesus. Boaz is her kinsman Redeemer, her kinsman Redeemer. And uh, we're not going to get into that in detail today. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the series. But a kinsman Redeemer was a male relative who, according to the various laws of the Pentateuch, 
And what was the Pentateuch? Y'all know, first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. First five books called the Pentateuch. And uh, the Pentateuch was written by one guy, and his name was Charlton Heston. No, his name was Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. So let me go back and read it again. A male relative who, according to the laws of the Pentateuch, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, all those laws, he was a guy who had the privilege or responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who was in trouble. That's what a kinsman redeemer was. Or if that family member was in danger or in need, the kinsman redeemer would come and give them what they needed, help them get out of the trouble they were in. So there's Boaz. He's the kinsman redeemer. He's a picture of Jesus. And there's Ruth, like us, needing a redeemer, needing a savior, needing someone to rescue her. So the message of the book of Ruth, I'm telling you, please take my word for it. It is some of the most beautiful teaching in the whole Bible. And uh, when we were talking about what I would be preaching on in 2015, I remember sitting down with Pastor Jared and the creative team, and I said, guys, I just really feel like God is um, dealing with me about preaching through the book of Ruth, through the whole book. And uh, we just have really been praying about this and thinking about it for a long time. And so we're going to take most of the summer. We're going to take uh, uh, all the way from now to the end of July, and we're going to cover the book of Ruth. Now, a lot of sermons we do are topical in nature. We'll deal with a topic. This one, we're going to deal with the book of Ruth, and whatever comes up in that, in that book, we're going to preach on it. We're going to talk about it. That's called expository preaching. That's where you don't choose a topic. You let the Scripture choose the topic, and you just go through the Scripture. Am I making any sense? So we're going to talk about the book of Ruth. And, and if you get in there with me, and let me tell you, if you don't really have a devotional life going on right now, man, dive in the book of Ruth. Dive right in. And uh, there's so many good tools on the Internet now, and you've probably got some great books, and we've got some in the bookstore uh, where you can get deeper and understand the book of Ruth more. Uh, but it will cause you to love the Lord, and it will cause you to appreciate the love of the Lord. Uh, but it is beautiful, beautiful teaching because the book of Ruth pictures the redemption that is available to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, it may surprise you to know, though, that Ruth, uh, Ruth was uh, not in the Jewish nation. Ruth was, uh, see, it's a picture of us. We're Gentiles. Ruth, Ruth uh, was a Moabite. She was in the, the country of Moab. And um, so Ruth needed to be redeemed. Uh, spiritually, Ruth was from the other side of the track. She didn't worship Jehovah God. She didn't worship the God of the Bible. She was in Moab, and uh, she was a pagan uh, when she met Naomi and when she met um, uh, Boaz and all of that. Uh, uh, she was a pagan. So when she, um, we're going to see that she leaves Moab, she's in Moab, meets Naomi and her family, and then comes back to Israel with Naomi and uh, to the city of Bethlehem. And uh, there's where she meets Boaz. And let me just tell you a little bit about Boaz. Very, very uh, rich, very wealthy, uh, very strong, very uh, kind and loving, a very good man. And if I can just add this, I'm sure he was about 6'4", with long flowing hair, blowing in the wind, and he was very, very good looking. Okay, so, a lot like me. Anyway, 
So, uh, so, you know, Boaz is that guy in the Bible, and he's not married, and there's Ruth, and at that time she's not married because her husband had died. I like what one old uh, writer said. He said, the story of Ruth, the book of Ruth, is when the maiden from Moab meets the bachelor from Bethlehem. Isn't that sweet? And they fall in love, and they get married, and it's an awesome love story, and it's, it's a story that's filled with plots and subplots, so it's really fun to read and fun to study. As I was getting ready for this series and thinking about how I wanted to introduce it, I read a really interesting story about Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin was one of the forefathers of our country. He was one of the fathers of our nation, and, and he served in many roles uh, uh, in, in developing America, and one of them was he was the ambassador to France. And while he was over there in France, he joined a literary society. And that literary society, you know, it was a bunch of hidey-tidy groups that would get together and they would read these passages out of these um, books, you know, that hardly anybody knew about. And so, so um, it came time for Benjamin Franklin to read a piece of literature that he thought uh, was very impressive and very powerful. And so he stood up in front of these guys from France and uh, France was then, like it is now, very, very uh, secular, very, very, um, you know, just don't think about God, don't really consider that important religion, important, the Bible is not important. So they really kind of scorned the whole God, Bible, Jesus, church thing. And, and Benjamin Franklin was a Christian, and he knew that they did. So he stands up, and he reads to them the book of Ruth. And when he got through reading the book of Ruth, they were blown away. They had never heard this story in their life. They, they hated the Bible. They despised the Bible. And so they said to him, Dr. Franklin, that is beyond a doubt the most beautiful romance story, the most beautiful love story we've ever heard. They said, would you give us leave, please, sir, that we might have that story published and that we might uh, uh, give it broad distribution? I mean, that's one of the greatest stories we've ever heard. Obviously, they didn't know the Bible. And Benjamin Franklin said back to them, this writing that I've read to you today has already been published. He said it already has broad distribution because, gentlemen, this story I read to you today is found in the Bible, that book that you profess to despise. What a powerful statement. What a powerful story. And the book of Ruth, what a powerful, powerful book it is. Now, this is very, very interesting. So as we look at all this and we think about the book of Ruth and, and we talk about, you know, kind of setting it up for the rest of this series, you're, you might be out there today and you're kind of going, uh, well, I mean, what, how does this apply to me? Can I use this at lunch? You know, can I use this tomorrow at work? What am I going to learn from this book that applies to me? And I love this fact, and this is the thing I want to press home with you today. When the book of Ruth, Ruth came along, it was during a very, very, very dark day in Israel's history. It was a time of lawlessness. It was a time of the judges. And you all know, I've preached on the judges before, and it was a time of lawlessness. You, you remember the book of Judges? There's a famous scripture there. It's the last chapter of Judges, and it's the last verse in that chapter. Let's look at what that says. Judges 21 and 25 and these were the days of Ruth. These were right in the middle of the days of Ruth. I don't know if you watched the video closely, but it showed the timeline. 
Ruth was during the time of the judges. And it says, in those days, what were those days? There was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Now, can I ask you a question? Does that remind you of anything? We're living right there, right now. We're living right there, right now. What is the mantra of our day? What is the message of our day? What is the overall theme of our day? You don't get to tell me what's right and wrong for me. I do what's right and wrong for myself. I don't need to read the Bible. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be connected with anything like that because I decide what's right for me. And what might be wrong for you isn't wrong for me. And what might be right for you isn't right for me. We live in a day, ladies and gentlemen, when everybody is doing what is right in their own eyes. Now, you say, well, not everybody, but generally, the mass population of the world today, that right there is the mantra of our day. Don't tell me what's right. Don't tell me what's wrong. Don't get up there and preach, out, preach to me out of that old book. I'll decide what's right for me. I'll decide what's wrong for me. Well, you say, well, well, big deal. Well, it is a big deal because when you look at what happened to Israel during this time, it almost utterly destroyed the nation. And when a man, a woman, a boy, a girl does what's right in their own eyes, instead of seeking the face of God and doing what's right in his eyes, they're in trouble already. They're headed toward a road of destruction. These days, the days of Ruth, were days when men turned their back on God. These were days when there was just a time of indifference, just didn't really care about anything to do with spiritual matters. Sin ran wild in the streets. It was a dark, dark time. So I look at the news. I turn my television on. I, I look at CNN. I look at Fox News. I look at NBC. I look at ABC, CBS. I look at the secular media and what's being reported. And I see sin in the streets of the world everywhere I turn. Now, I'm not trying to be a prophet of doom today. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just saying that when we turn from God and when we do what's right in our own eyes, when we do what's right for us, when we have the attitude, well, hey, you do what's right for you, I'll do what's right for me, and we don't seek the face of God as a people, then the chaos that you're seeing in the world today, would you all agree with me we live in a chaotic world right now? Can I just tell you, you are only seeing the beginning if men don't come back to God and get on their knees before God and repent. Now, I'm going to act like I didn't say that because that deserved a huge amen right there. So I'm going to back up. We live in a day when sin is rampant in the world and men are doing what's right in their own eyes. And we see the results of it. We see the painful consequences of that. But I'm telling you, we've only scratched the surface of what it's going to be if we don't get on our knees and repent and get back to God. And the church said, amen, 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 amen. But here's what I love. Here's what I love. It's dark. It's a dark, dark, dark time. 
And this just shows me the love of God. And right in the middle of all this darkness, right in the middle of all this darkness, when it looks like God's nowhere around, he just comes into the Bible with Ruth, the story of Ruth, to say, you know what? I'm still on the throne. I still run everything. I don't care what it looks like to you. I don't care what the world looks like. I don't care how hopeless you think it is. Listen to me this morning. God Almighty is on the throne. And God Almighty is in control. And your world may feel out of control. And you know what? It could be the world, as you look at the news, the, the general condition of the world that makes you feel like things are out of control. Or there may be something going on in your personal world where it's coming apart. Marriage, children, addictions, whatever. You just feel like everything's flying apart and, and the doctor gave you a report you can't believe and you were at work and you found out your pay's about to be cut or you're going to be laid off or I don't know what kind of news you got. Listen to me. God is on the throne and God is in control and what he needs for you to do is cry out to him. Stop looking to the right or to the left to have your needs met. Listen to me. Your needs are met in him. He's the same yesterday. He's the same today. And he is the same forever. Now, things around us may get crazy and they may get chaotic, but my God never changes. He is the same God who opened the Red Sea. He is the same God today. Cry out to him. Cry out to him. I've done everything I know to do. Have you cried out to God? Have you gone to the bedroom and shut the door and locked it and put the kids in the trunk? I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding about that. But you know what? You just gotta, you just gotta find that place where you get by yourself and you take your life and you take your community, and you take your church, and you take anything you're concerned about, anything you're worried about, anything you're broken up about, anything that's just got you messed up in your mind and got you discouraged and got you sinking into despair, and you forget about all that, and you come in there, and you kneel down by that bed, and you open your arms and say, God, I don't know what to do with any of this. My world is falling apart. God, I surrender to your will and to your purpose and to the work of the Holy Spirit spirit in my life and in my family. And I'm telling you, God will hear you and he will answer you and he will come where you are. You say, but pastor, it's so bad. It's so bad. It's so dark. Listen to me. I think about old Stephen, that teenage boy that preached the word of God so powerfully and so strong and without compromise that they decided we're going to stone this young man. And they began to stone him to death and, and the bone and the, the stones began to hit his body and the bones began to break and the blood began to spatter and he went down on his knees and the Bible says it was in that darkest moment. It was in the darkest time of his life. A young preacher, a young man, probably still a teenager. It was in that terrible, terrible moment that he could see Jesus the clearest. It was only at that moment that Stephen was able to say, I see Jesus standing at the Father's right hand. And when I think about that, I think about why did he say standing? Why did he put that word in there? It's almost like Jesus was sitting and he looked down and saw what this young preacher was willing to go through for him. And it's almost like Jesus stood in honor. 
And Jesus gave Stephen a vision of himself. Here's what I want you to understand. Here's what I want you to know. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's going on in your children's lives. I don't know all that's going on in your marriage or all that's going on in your finances or all that's going on in other struggles you're going through. But I'm telling you right now, it is in that dark hour, if you will look up, if you will lose focus of the world around you, and as the old song we used to sing a long time ago, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You know what's wrong with us? I'm, I'm right in there with you guys. I'm not preaching to you. I'm pointing that finger, but i got three more pointing back this way. I want to tell you something. I lose focus on him. I lose focus on him. I'm like Peter walking on the water. I, I get my eyes on the storm. I get my eyes on the, on the wet waves. I get my eyes on the trouble. I get my eyes on what the news media is saying. I get my eyes on what Hollywood is saying. I get my eyes on all the permissiveness in our society, things that we know are sin, but now we're being told they're not sin anymore, and I get discouraged, and I get in despair, and then I remember I've got to get my focus back on Jesus. I've got to get my focus back in the Word because that is where I get my hope from. That's where I get my fire in the belly from to be the man of God he wants me to be. I'm telling you right now, if you look at what's going on around you, you're going to get discouraged. If you lose focus on God and you lose focus on His Word, you're going to get discouraged. You're going to be down and out. And this story of Ruth just coming up in the middle of all this darkness in Israel's history just tells us this is why the Bible is so important. This is why uh, um, no matter how dark the day gets, there's always that star of hope in the sky, and his name is Jesus. As a matter of fact, there's a name for Jesus in the Bible, Day Star. He's our day star. But he's not just your day star during the day. He's your day star in the middle of the darkness. He's your day star. You know, again, I said earlier, I like to read what the old preachers used to say a long time ago. It kind of keeps me grounded, and uh, plus I am an old preacher now, so I like to read what they said. It says, one, one old preacher wrote this. He wrote, it is God who pulls back the curtains of our night and pins those curtains with the star of hope. And when he does, it opens the gates of our lives and he floods us with his life and his light and his glory. Here's what I'm saying to you. In your individual life and in your individual world, it may seem dark, but listen, you're a child of the king. And if you're not a child of the king, you can become a child of the king today. And when you turn to him and you, and you say, I've got to get all this other stuff out of my sight. I've got to get it out of my mind and out of my focus. And I've got to focus on God. It is then that God takes that darkness in your life and pulls it back like a curtain and pins it with hope and allows the flood of his life and his glory and his light to shine in you. Are you all with me today? Are you glad that in the midst of all the darkness of this world, we can be warm in the light of Jesus, and we can know his presence. It doesn't matter what's going on around us. Our world can be consumed with the glory and the presence of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. Yes. You say, well, how did Ruth get there? 
She surrendered her heart to Jesus. She surrendered her heart to God. She surrendered her, li surrendered her life to the Lord. And if you'll do what Ruth did, he will make your life a love story. Now, I want to close this message today by setting up what I'm going to talk about next week in the sermon, okay? So we're going to just begin, I think a good place to begin would be chapter 1. Y'all agree with that? It's a good place. How about verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1? So we'll begin there. That's a great place. And um, here's what we're going to talk about next week. And I want you to be ready because, man, we're gonna, it's going to be a lot of good information. Uh, we're going to talk about choices we make. We're going to talk about decisions. We're going to talk about the good fruit that we get from good decisions. And we're going to talk about the negative, hurtful consequences when we make bad decisions. So we're going to look at how this happened in this story uh, in the book of Ruth. You're going to meet a guy named Elimelech. And Elimelech made a bad choice, and we're going to see the fallout from his bad choices. And then we're going to see Ruth, and we're going to see her good choices, and we're going to see the good re result of her making good choices. So let's go to Ruth chapter 1 and verse 1, and, and look at this now. New American Standard Bible, that's what that means. Now, it came about in the days when the what? Judges governed. So it's talking about Ruth. And it's during the day of the judges. That there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, which is where the famine was. The famine was in Bethlehem, is in Israel. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn. Now, I don't know if you guys picked it up on the video, but there's a lot of good teaching in that little video. The word sojourn means that you're passing through doesn't mean you're going to stay. It means you're passing through. And so it says he sojourned in the land of, everybody say that, Moab. That is a big, um, important fact to remember all about Moab and what that represents. So he sojourned in the land of Moab, but he took his family with him. He didn't just go to Moab from Bethlehem. He took his wife and his two sons. Go to the next verse. Verse 2, the name of the man who did this was Elimelech. And the name of his wife was Naomi. Now, the name Elimelech is very important that we understand what that means because it's going to tell us what kind of man he was. The name Elimelech means my God is king. So that's what his mom and dad named him. His mom and dad named him Elimelech, meaning my God is king. So here's what that tells me about Elimelech. He had a godly heritage. He had a godly heritage for his mom and dad to name him that. He had a wonderful godly heritage, wonderful godly mom and dad. And uh, he lived in the little town of Bethlehem. And uh, he had a lot going for him. Now, there's a lot of preaching I could actually do right there. Some of you sitting here were right, raised right. You were brought up right. You were brought up to love God. You were brought up to be in church. You were brought up that not only did you need God, but you needed other Christians in your life. And, and you were brought up to know what to do. You were brought up to know the importance of the Bible and the importance of prayer and the importance of serving God, not just being a taker, but also being a giver. You learned all of that stuff. But here's what happens. Even though Elimelech had this kind of heritage and he was brought up like this, he abandoned it. And I fear that a lot of us have abandoned the heritage we were brought up in. You say, well, I wasn't brought up in a godly home. And you know what? I admire you for being here today. 
But my point is that a lot of people were. They were brought up by good, godly parents, but they made bad decisions and got away from the teaching of their mom and their dad and their family before them. So, um, so it says in verse 2, and the name of his wife was Naomi. Now, the word Naomi means sweetness or pleasantness. And so, my God is king, Mary pleasantness. Boy, that's a marriage made in heaven right there, isn't it? And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem. So, they were from Bethlehem. Now, the, the name Bethlehem, that means house of bread, so he's from the house of bread, but he went to, what city did he go to? Moab. So he left the house of bread, and he went to Moab. Okay? The Bible says he went from the house of bread to Moab. And by the way, uh, Bethlehem is where the bread of life was born. The bread of life was born in the house of bread. Woo! Okay? So I don't know if you all like that, but that did something for me. Now they entered the land of what? There it is. Moab, and what? So his sojourn, his passing through, turned into him staying there. Hmm. That sounds like a problem to me. Reminds me of Lot in the Bible. By the way, the, the Moabites, I'm telling you, they were a rough bunch. You know where the Moabites came from? It's going to freak some of you out that don't know the Bible, but did you know in Genesis chapter 19 that Lot had an incestuous relationship with one of his daughters and children were born out of that incestuous relationship and the children born out of that and the nation that grew out of that were the Moabites. So he took, listen to this, this man of God, my God is king, took his family from the house of bread to a wicked place. And he didn't sojourn through, but he what? He stayed. Boy, there's a lot of, a lot of teaching right there. It's a famine in Bethlehem. There's a famine in the house of bread. And rather than trusting God, rather than Elimelech saying, I remember what my mom and dad taught me about God, and I'm going to get on my knees, and I know we're having a famine. I'm going to get on my knees. God's going to take care of us. God's going to take care of us. I know there's no rain. I know there's no crops. I, I know there's nothing to eat. But I know that my God is going to take care of us. He didn't do that. He freaked. He panicked. How many times do we do that? How many times do we panic when, you know, when everything's flowing in, when we're getting good reports from the doctor, when the money's coming in, when we're able to pay the bills, we're all spiritual. But the minute all that kind of is threatened, we freak out. We panic. We make bad decisions. That's exactly what Elimelech did. He was scared he wasn't going to be able to provide for his family. And so he runs from the, the bread, the house of bread, to Moab. It's a terrible thing, really. Moab's a pagan country, as I told you. Not only were they a pagan country, they were very much enemies of Israel. They had actually invaded Israel earlier and had enslaved them at another time in history for 18 years. These people were wicked. The Moabites were cruel people. They were violent. They were barbarians. They were ISIS-like. They were the descendants, again, of Lot and his daughter. 
Listen, one writer said Moab was a demon-infested place because of its beginnings. And here's Elimelech. Listen to me, you daddies. Listen to me, you fathers. Listen to me, you men out there who are going to be fathers and you're going to be husbands. Listen to me. They, he led his home to Moab. He led his home away from God to Moab. He led his wife and children. He made a very poor choice. He panicked. He didn't trust God. And because of this choice, and we'll see it next week, there's pain, there's separation, and there's even death because of his bad decision. We'll talk about three things next week. Let me give you these thoughts about us, who we are. The Word of God teaches us that God has given us a will. You have a will. You can choose. Every one of you out here today, you can choose. You have a will. As a matter of fact, us having a choice in our life and having a, a will that we can exercise our will, that distinguishes us as humans from all other creations of God. We're the only ones who have moral choice. We're not machines. We're not robots. We're not forced to do anything. We have freedom to make decisions. And again, we are moral creatures. Now, when you use that term, moral creatures, here's what that means. That means that because you're a moral creature and because you get to choose, listen, then you're responsible. When you're given choice, you become responsible. And you were given a choice, you were given a choice to choose good or evil, right or wrong, God or your own way. And so you're going to suffer the consequences of bad choices. However, you're going to enjoy the fruit of good choices. So as a, as, a, as a moral creature, you have a decision to make. You have choices to make. And you are going to enjoy the blessing and you're going to suffer from the bad choices uh, that you make. So important that that uh, seeps in and, and that that gets into us. Our choices lead to our actions. And we're responsible for both. We make choices every day. And those choices set the course and set the direction of our life. Listen to this. You're going to make a decision right here today. I'm going to make a decision right here today. I'm going to make a decision. Before I leave here today, I'm going to make a decision. Am I going to receive this word? Because you know what? You say, well, you're, this is your word. No, let's hope it's not my word. It's in my word, is it? What is this? It's God's word, so it's to me too, I have to decide. Reminds me of a story in the book of Acts when Paul was preaching on Mars Hill. He was preaching in Greece, and he was on Mars Hill. And these people were just, um, uh, just really messed up in their religion, their theology, so they, they thought of a God for everything. They had a God for the moon, a God for the sun, a God for the grass, a God for the trees, a God for the birds, a God for the fish. Everything around them, they had a God for it. As a matter of fact, one writer said there were more gods than there were people. In that city. So Paul comes there to preach. He comes there to preach about Jesus. So Paul stands up there and he notices over here on the right hand side that there's this monument set up and he goes, so what God is that? And they go, well, we want to make sure we didn't offend any gods, so we made a God to the unknown God. We made a monument to the unknown God. So Paul just used that. And Paul said, you know what? This God you don't know he said, he's the one I know. And Paul said, let me tell you about Jesus. 
And Paul preached the gospel. He preached the word of God. He preached the truth. Now here's why I'm telling you this little story in the Bible. Because at the end of his sermon, it's very clear that there were three types of decisions that were made that day. It says that one group mocked and scoffed and went, whatever, whatever. I don't want to hear that. I don't even believe that. I'm done with you. If you ever come back to our town, I'll never hear you speak again. I'm done. And then there was another group that was kind of in the middle, and they said, well, I'm not ready to really commit to that, but it's interesting. And maybe I'll hear you again on this matter later. And then there was a group, and it was probably the smallest group, and they said, I believe. They said, I believe in Jesus Christ. I abandon all these other gods, and I give my life to Jesus today. Did you know that every time the gospel, every time the word of God, every time the message, like preaching today, whether it's Pastor Andrew, who I heard did a great job last week, and Pastor uh, Jared, who did a great job the week before, uh, whether it's them or whether it's me or whether you're listening to your favorite preacher on the internet or on the radio or on a CD or you're reading in a book. Listen, every time the truth comes to you, you have to make a decision. Am I going to receive that? Am I going to believe that? And you might be here today and go, hey, man, time out. This whole church Bible God Jesus thing is all new to me. I'm not ready to make a decision today. Well, we're not going to pressure you on that. But here's what I would suggest. At least when you leave today, say, God, if you're there, and if what that guy was talking about, if there's any truth to it, would you just please speak that to me and let me become convinced of what is right and wrong? Will you at least go with that attitude? But then there might be some of you who would say, I've been running from God and I'm tired of running. Man, it's not working. Running from God, going my own way, doing my own thing, doing what's right in my own eyes. It's not working. My life's falling apart. I know that I've tried everything I can try, but I haven't tried Jesus. I haven't given God an opportunity. And today I'm going to give God an opportunity. Maybe that'll be your decision. We hope it will. That's why we believe that there are people after every service here at the bridge that just make different decisions about what they're going to do with what they saw and what they heard. And that's why we have free literature back here for you to pick up that we hope you'll take home and do some study on your own because that's when it's going to get confirmed in you, when you kind of get with God by yourself. And I love what Jesus said to Pilate. He said, Pilate, anybody that wants to know me and they're sincere, he said, I'll reveal myself. Anybody who wants to know who I am and they're really sincere, he said, I'll show myself to them. So if you were to leave here today and go, well, it's interesting, but I've got to have more. I, gotta, I have more. I'm not really convinced yet. And I'm telling you, pray like this. Say, God, if you're there, I want you to show yourself to me. Because if you really are there and you really are who that guy said you were and some of the other preachers I've heard and the other books I've read, God, I mean, if you're really that, I need you in my life. Now, I'm not sure you are really all that, but if you are, I need you to, I need you to speak. And I'm telling you, he will reveal himself to you. Now, I don't know how he will. All I know is he promised he would. And he'll show you who he is. So our choices set our courses. Our choices set our courses. You are a product of your decisions. Whatever you are today, whatever you are, wherever you are in life, you're a product of your choices. 
because our choices set our courses. And the people said, let's all stand.